here in this church, we show no partiality. People can come as they are. The whole point is Jesus Christ asked for all to come to him. There's a lot of doctrines that, that people won't agree on, and that's fine because sinful men are never going to agree on everything that God intended for Scripture to say. What I'm going to talk about today, all of you may not agree with me. It's a viewpoint, okay? And that's fine. The one thing that we have to realize and agree on is that Jesus Christ came to save the whole world. Jesus Christ died for the whole world. I also believe that in any moment Jesus Christ is going to come back and rapture his church. My view, I believe in the pre-tribulation rapture of the church. Some people don't, but this is my view, and I'm going to give you why I believe that view, because I've studied it for years. I've studied all different views on the return of Christ. And let me explain to you why I believe in the pre-tribulation rapture, okay? And whether you agree with me or not, that's absolutely fine. My whole goal is to make sure not that people believe in a pre-tribulation rapture. My goal is to make sure that people are saved. That's what I'm supposed to do. So if I believe in a pre-trib and you don't, that's okay. Is Jesus your Savior? That's all that matters to me, and that's what matters to God. Pre-trib, mid-trib, post-trib, pre-wrath, I've studied all of them with prayer and with an open mind. The only one that makes any sense to me is the pre-tribulation rapture of the church in which Christ calls to him his true believers before the wrath of God is poured out upon the earth. And first off, do not believe the lie that says that the rapture of the church is something new because it's not. First off, I want to tell you about some early church leaders who also believed in the rapture of the church. Irenaeus, who lived from 130 A.D. to 2 A.D., he was a bishop of the church in Lyons, which was in France, and a disciple of Polycarp, who was the first disciple of the Apostle John. He said of the rapture, And therefore, when in the end the church shall be suddenly caught up from this, it is said, There shall be tribulation such as not been since the beginning, neither shall be. Cyprian, who lived from 200 A.D., to 258 A.D., he was a bishop of the church in Carthage, said, We who see that terrible things have begun and know that still more terrible things are imminent may regard it as the greatest advantage to depart from it as quickly as possible. Do you not give God thanks? Do you not congratulate yourself that by an early departure you are taken away and delivered from the shipwrecks and disasters that are imminent? Let us greet the day which assigns each of us to his own home, which snatches us hence, and sets us free from the snares of the world and restores us to paradise and the kingdom. And lastly, Ephraim, who lived from 306 A.D. to 373 A.D., he was a deacon in the church of Syria in 338 and later became the bishop of Nisibus. He said, why therefore do we not reject every care of earthly actions and prepare ourselves for the meeting of the Lord Christ so that he may draw us from the confusion which overwhelms the entire world? For all the saints and elect of God are gathered prior to the tribulation that is to come and are taken to the Lord lest they see the confusion that is to overwhelm the world because of our sins. And so, brothers most dear to me, 
it is the eleventh hour, and the end of the world comes to the harvest, and angels armed and prepared hold sickles in their hands awaiting the empire of the Lord. Ephraim said that they were in the eleventh hour. I would assume, say, that we are only moments from midnight now. These men said these things about the rapture of the church 17 to 1900 years ago. They were preparing and waiting for the Lord to come at any moment. Not looking for signs because they knew there would be none. Scripture says he would come like a thief in the night. So someone might ask, well, why has it been 2,000 years and it still hasn't happened yet? Now see, when I do studying and I write sermons, I ask myself questions. And I ask questions that other people would ask. And I search scriptures to find answers for them. This is one. Why has it been 2,000 years and he still hasn't returned? Second Peter 3, 3 and 4, and verses 8 and 9. Knowing this first, that scoffers will come in the last days walking according to their own lusts and saying, where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. But beloved, do not forget this one thing, that with the Lord, one day is a thousand years and a thousand years is a day. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some count slackness, but is long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. God is giving so much time to as many of us as possible to come to believe in Jesus Christ as Lord. That's why. Enoch and Elijah were taken to heaven alive. So it's not out of the realm of possibility that a lot of us could have the same thing happen to us. Christ will rapture his bride, the church. And I will give you scripture on why the church is the bride and why the church will be raptured. Early believers in Christ knew that he could come for them at any moment and were told to always be ready. If you would, turn to Mark 13, please. Mark 13, verses 32 through 37. Mark 13, 32 through 37. But of that day and hour no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. Take heed, watch, and pray, for you do not know when the time is. It is like a man going to a far country who left his house and gave authority to his servants and to each his work and commanded the doorkeeper to watch. Watch therefore, for you do not know when the master of the house is coming, in the evening, at midnight, at the crowing of the rooster, or in the morning. Lest come suddenly he find you sleeping. And what I say to you, I say to all, watch. Now when you read the book of Revelation... And you see all the atrocious things which are going to happen during the seven-year tribulation? One can only come to the logical conclusion that such events would be a definite giveaway concerning the time of when the Lord was going to return, right? Daniel prophesied concerning an event known as the abomination of desolation. Daniel 12.11 says, And from the time that the daily sacrifice shall be taken away, and the abomination that makes desolate set up, there shall be 1,290 days. The Bible teaches that three and a half years of time will follow this blasphemous act by the Antichrist. Which means that everyone who understood the Bible would know exactly when Jesus Christ would return. 
This is 100% contrary to the plain statement of Jesus, as I just read in Mark 13.33, where he says, Take heed, watch, and pray, for you do not know when the time is. The events prophesied to occur in the seven-year tribulation period are extremely specific. Very specific. Yet the Bible plainly states repeatedly that the Lord will return as a thief in the night. Luke 12.40 says, You also must be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. Luke 21.36, Jesus taught his followers, But stay awake at all times, praying that you may have the strength to escape all these things that are going to take place and to stand before the Son of Man. Why would Christ tell us to pray for the strength to be able to escape if escaping the wrath of God were not an option? Why would Jesus do that? Wouldn't he tell us to pray for the strength to withstand it if the church was going to go through it? Let's look at some more verses on the rapture. These are two that you guys probably know well if you've studied it. 1 Thessalonians 4, 15-17 For this we say to you by the word of the Lord. The word of the Lord. This is not Paul's words, this is Christ's words. That we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will by no means precede those who are asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel and with the trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And thus we shall always be with the Lord. And in 1 Corinthians 15, 51-52, Behold, I tell you a mystery, we shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised incorruptible and we shall be changed. Now if this happened during or after the seven-year tribulation, then all the saints would be changed into their eternal bodies, right? If this is so, then who will be the inhabitants that live on the earth for a thousand years during the millennial reign of Christ? If all are incorruptible, then who will Satan deceive on the earth when he's set free from the pit after a thousand years? He can't corrupt or deceive glorified saints. So human beings have to be present. We will have glorified bodies, not decaying ones. We will be in the millennium, of course, but as rulers but not, and not as subjects. So who will we rule over? As Christ says, we will rule and reign with him. It will be those who missed the rapture and became saved while living through the tribulation. Also, Jesus must take his rightful rule as king of all nations to bring into fruition the covenants that God made with Israel. God said the seed of David will always be on the throne. It speaks about this in Revelation 27 through 10. Now when the thousand years have expired, Satan will be released from his prison and will go out to deceive the nations which are in the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them together to battle whose number is as the sand of the sea which means this earth is going to repopulate again. Over a thousand years, we know that that can happen because we can see, if you look at a timeline from the world's population, how it exploded over a certain number of hundreds of years. They went up on the breadth of the earth and surrounded the camp of the saints in the beloved city, and fire came down from God out of heaven and devoured them. 
The devil who deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone where the beast and false prophet are. Not will be, are. Because they're cast alive into the lake of fire. And they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. This is a real event with real people that will happen in the future. Another example, if you would turn to 2 Thessalonians 2. 2 Thessalonians 2, 3 through 7. Let no one deceive you by any means, for that day will not come unless the falling away comes first. And the man of sin is revealed, the son of perdition, who opposes and exalts himself above all that is called God or that is worshipped, so that he sits as God in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. Do you not remember that when I was still with you, I told you these things? And now you know what is restraining, that he may be revealed in his own time. For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Only he who now restrains will do so until he is taken out of the way. The reason for the restraint was so that the Antichrist would be revealed at God's appointed time and no sooner, just as Jesus Christ was, because God controls Satan. The Holy Spirit of God is the only person with the power to do this restraining. We can't do it. Human beings can't do it. Nations can't do it. Nothing in this world can do it. Only God can control Satan. So how does he do it? Through Christians. He works in society to hold back the swelling tide of lawlessness. At some point, though, he will be removed from the earth, allowing sin to have dominion over mankind. And this can only happen when the church, all true believers in Christ, is removed. This is because the Holy Spirit lives within each believer. We are sealed by the Holy Spirit. Paul said we are a temple of the Holy Spirit. So I take that as saying that the Holy Spirit lives within me, not beside me. He lives within me, as Scripture says. When the church leaves the earth at the rapture, the Holy Spirit will be taken out of the way in the sense that his unique lawlessness restraining ministry through God's people will be removed. But as soon as individuals again start placing their faith in Christ during the tribulation, the Holy Spirit will again be present, quote unquote, in the world. The Holy Spirit is omnipresent. He can't fully be removed, okay? He's everywhere all the time. But the believers in which he indwells can be removed. If the rapture happens during the time of the two witnesses in Revelation 11, as some believe, then why don't the two witnesses go up in the rapture? They're believers, right? I would say so. Pretty strong believers in my eyes. Okay, what about, why not the 144,000 Jewish evangelists sealed by God in Revelation 7? This was before that. Why are they still here? Why the need for the two witnesses and the 144,000 sealed by God to be here on earth if the church is still present to evangelize to the world? Because we're not here. That's why. 1 Thessalonians 5, 9 and 10 says, For God did not appoint us to wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us that whether we wake or sleep, we should live together with him. God did not appoint us to wrath, which is exactly what Revelation says will be unleashed upon the earth. Jesus will take his bride to safety before this happens. What man wouldn't? Titus 2.13 says, Looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ. Now you know by Revelation 4, the crowns have already been awarded. 
And guess what, believers? We get crowns. And we also get white robes. That's part of our reward for believing and serving Christ. Revelation 4.4 says, Surrounding the throne were 24 other thrones, and seated on them were 24 elders. They were dressed in white and had crowns of gold on their heads. Those are rewards given to the saints of Christ. Who are the elders? Some people think that they're angels. But God doesn't award victory crowns to angels. Scripture says nothing of the sort. Crowns are only given to believers in Jesus Christ. The crowns are reserved for sinners who overcome by faith when Christ comes. 2 Timothy 4.8 Finally there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give me on that day, and not to me only, but also to all who have loved his appearing. 1 Peter 5.4 And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that does not fade away. Revelation 22.12 And behold, I am coming quickly, and my reward is with me, to give to everyone according to his work. Now, the Bible talks about the judgment seat of Christ where crowns are given, also referred to as the Bema seat. It talks about it in Romans 14, 1 Corinthians 3, and 2 Corinthians 5. Only church-age saints will appear at the judgment. As shown in 2 Corinthians 5.10, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. Paul was talking to believers there. The purpose of the Bema is a thorough evaluation of our lives. 1 Corinthians 4, 5 says, The Lord will come and bring to light the hidden things of darkness that reveal the counsels of the heart. Then each one's praise will come from God. Can you believe that, that God is going to give us praise for living for him in his life? That's what scripture says. You know, some of you may say, well, I'm not worthy for that. Yeah, you are, because he, did, he made us worthy. Jesus Christ made us worthy. I used to think that way, and that's wrong thinking if you're a Christian. If we are going to be priests and kings with Jesus Christ, I would say he made us worthy. Christians will stand at the beam of seat of Christ to give an account and to have good works done in Christ rewarded, and those done with wrong motives will be burned up. Because all are tested by fire, as Paul said in 1 Corinthians 3, 12 through 15. Remember hay, stubble, straw, gold, silver, precious jewels. Matthew 16, 27 says, For the Son of Man is going to come in His Father's glory with His angels, and then He will reward each person according to what He has done. Here, He comes to rapture the church with His angels. And then i got two verses, and I want you to see the, see the difference. In Revelation 19, 13-14, He was clothed with a robe dipped in blood, and His name is called the Word of God. And the armies in heaven, clothed in fine linen, white and clean, followed Him on white horses, and in Jude 1, 14, Enoch, the seventh from Adam, prophesied about these men. See, the Lord is coming with thousands upon thousands of his holy ones to judge everyone and to convict all the ungodly of all the ungodly acts they have done in the ungodly way and of all the harsh words ungodly sinners have spoken against him. Here, Christ is returning with his saints. What I read in Matthew 16, Christ came with his angels. These are two separate events. The church, the bride of Christ, is already with the Lord when he returns. By Revelation 19, the bride is already ready. Revelation 19, 7-9 says, Let us rejoice and glad and give him glory, for the wedding of the Lamb has come. 
And his bride has made herself ready. Fine linen, bright and clean, was given her to wear. We know from Scripture that fine linen stands for the righteous acts of God's holy people. How do we know she's ready? She's arrayed in fine linen. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 11.2, I promised you to one husband, to Christ, so that I might present you as a pure virgin to him. I would say we are his bride. And in Ephesians 5.25-32, please turn there. Ephesians 5.25-32. This is something else to confirm that we are the bride of Christ. Ephesians 5.25-32. It says, Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her, that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word, that he might present her to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish. So husbands ought to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as the Lord does the church. For we are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. For this reason a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. And we know what now what that mystery is. The bride is the church. And when a wife is ready for marriage, where's the bride? She's hidden away. She has to be in heaven. Now Colossians 3.4 says, When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. We will be with him when he appears, so that means we are with him when he sets his foot on the Mount of Olives to judge the nations and rule the world with a rod of iron. Zechariah 14, 4 and 5. And in that day his feet will stand on the Mount of Olives, which faces Jerusalem on the east, and the Mount of Olives shall be split in two from east to west, making a very large valley. Half of the mountain shall move toward the north and half of it toward the south. And then at the end of verse 5 it says, Thus the Lord my God will come and all the saints with him. We are with him when he comes back. Now 2 Corinthians 15 is interesting, 23 through 24. But each in his own turn. Paul says, Christ the first fruits. Then when he comes, those who belong to him. And then after that, the end will come. When he hands over the kingdom to God the Father after he has destroyed all dominion, authority, and power. Paul says each in his own turn. These are separate events in history. Not just the second coming of Christ. 1 John 3, 2. Dear friends, now we are like children of God, and what we will be has not yet been made known. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him. For we shall see him as he is. Everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself just as he is pure. Remember, we are changed in the twinkling of an eye. Revelation 16, 15. Behold, I come like a thief. Blessed is he who stays awake and keeps his clothes with him, so that he may not go naked and be shamefully exposed. False converts will be naked and exposed for what they are. Unsaved by Christ. They will be left behind and the truth about them will come to light. Why would this be said if they were just going to go straight into judgment? There wouldn't be any need for that. But they're going to know 
when they're left behind that they truly weren't saved by Jesus Christ. This is a very interesting little blip here that I found when I was studying, so just bear with me a second. Matthew 24, 1 and 2 says, Then Jesus went out and departed from the temple, and his disciples came up to show him the buildings of the temple. And Jesus said to them, Do you not see all these things? Assuredly, I say to you, not one stone shall be left here upon another that shall not be thrown down. Preterists believe this is when everything happened. But I'm going to show you something else in regards to the rapture that's really neat that happened. Okay? He was talking about the destruction of the temple by the Romans in 70 AD, which we know happened. All of history confirms that, but Jesus confirmed it first. I found something interesting about this event. Vespasian was named Roman Emperor on July 1st, 69 AD. He had been concerned that he would need more military backing to make his claim good and basically solidify his empire. What he had done was he had the legions under his son Titus's command that had already begun the siege of Jerusalem. He wanted them to disengage and come back to Rome. He was going to leave Jerusalem for another day. When they begin pulling back to prepare for the journey, the believers in Jerusalem who had been taught the Lord's warning hastened to escape the city. A lot of people don't tell you that. But if you read your history, you find these things out. But before the Romans could fully leave, Titus um, was told by Vespasian that the troops wouldn't be needed after all, and he ordered them to resume their siege on Jerusalem. But by then, all the believers had escaped. Although over one million Jews had perished, according to tradition, not a single believer died in the destruction of Jerusalem. We don't know that for sure, but I could see it. If they were true believers in Christ and they heeded his warnings, they took off as soon as they had a chance. And I imagine most of them took off when they saw Rome, the Roman army coming that way. Because if you listen to Christ, and he says, they're going to tear this city down. A true believer would say, here they come. We can't do anything to fight it. We need to flee. Why? Because God gives his people a way of escape. 1 Thessalonians 1.9 says, They tell how you turn to God from idols to serve the living and true God, and to wait for his Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who rescues us from the coming wrath. 2 Peter 2.4 For if God did not spare the angels who sinned, but cast them down to hell and delivered them into chains of darkness to be reserved for judgment, and did not spare the ancient world, but saved Noah, one of eight people, a preacher of righteousness, bringing in the flood of the world on the ungodly, and turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah into ashes, condemned them to destruction, making them an example to those who afterward would live ungodly and delivered righteous lot who was oppressed by the filthy conduct of the wicked. For that righteous man dwelling among them tormented his righteous soul from day to day by seeing and hearing their lawless deeds. Then the Lord knows how to deliver the godly out of temptations and to reserve the unjust under punishment for the day of judgment. Again, God will take his people out. Does that mean we won't be persecuted? No, not at all. Life is a tribulation. Life is a persecution. Life is also joy and happiness. God's wrath is a different story. And I know as a believer, I don't want to be here when that wrath is unleashed. Scripture says that we won't. Noah's family was saved from the judgment of the flood poured out on the sinful world. So will the faithful believers in Jesus Christ at the rapture, who will be removed from the earth just before the judgments of the day 
of the Lord's begins. Now Genesis 7, 1 says, Then the Lord said to Noah, Come into the ark, you and all your household, because I have seen that you are righteous before me in this generation. God literally invited Noah into the ark to be with him. This is similar to when the Apostle John was raptured to heaven at the invitation of God in the book of Revelation 4.1. After this I looked, and behold, a door was opened in heaven, and the first voice which I heard was as it were a, of a trumpet talking with me, which said, Come up hither. He was invited. When Noah and his family enter the ark, it is God who shuts the door. Not Noah. God shut it. Genesis 7.16 says, And they that went in, went in male and female of all flesh, as God had commanded him, and the Lord shut him in. Now Revelation 3, 8 and 10. I know your works. See, I have set before you an open door, and no one can shut it. For you have a little strength, have kept my word, and have not denied my name. And in verse 10 says, Because you have kept my command to persevere, I also will keep you from the hour of trial which shall come upon the whole world to test those who dwell on the earth. How many scriptures do we have to read to tell us that we won't have to go through it? Now the reason for the promise illuminates the purpose of the promise. God, is God saying since you have shown patience, I will now give you a bigger test? No. He's saying you've already passed the test, congratulations. The promise is for believers in Jesus Christ. Jesus describes himself as the one who opens and shuts the door. Just as God the Father shut Noah in the ark, Jesus will shut in his faithful believers behind a door in heaven during the wrath of God and the great tribulation. He will protect us. Lot was removed from Sodom by supernatural means. You know, angels personally escorted he and his family out. But his wife couldn't leave the flesh, so we know what happened to her. This happened just prior to the fire and brimstone raining down on those two cities and the ones around surrounding them. The same pattern for the rapture is seen with Noah emerges. God prepares to pour out his judgment on the wicked. He sends a warning to his faithful followers, and the judgment does not come until after the faithful have been safely removed. There's another, the Passover. A lot of doors here. The Passover account in the book of Exodus took place as God brought his final and worst judgment against Pharaoh and the Egyptians. The pattern and typology of the rapture is very present. The believers are warned by God that a judgment is coming and they are specifically spared the judgment. God commanded the Israelites to put the blood on their doorposts and stay behind the doors and not come out. Just as it was with Noah and with the apostle John and Lot, a door was symbolic of being kept safe during the time of judgment. And as it will be with the rapture, the believers are saved, suffering no harm while the unbelievers suffer God's wrath. Got a couple more. Turn to Matthew 25. Matthew 25, 1 through 13. This also has to do with the door. Matthew 25, 1 through 13. Then the kingdom of heaven shall be likened to ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Now five of them were wise and five were foolish. Those who were foolish took their lamps and took no oil with them. But the wise took oil in their vessels with their lamps. But while the bridegroom was delayed, they all slumbered and slept. And at midnight a cry was heard, Behold, the bridegroom is coming, go out to meet him. Then all those virgins arose and trimmed their lamps. 
And the foolish said to the wise, Give us some of your oil, for our lamps are going out. But the wise answered, saying, No, lest there should not be enough for us and you, but go rather to those who sell and buy for yourselves. And when they went to buy, the bridegroom came, and those who were ready went in with him to the wedding, and the door was shut. Afterward, the other virgins came, also saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered and said, Assuredly, I say to you, I do not know you. Watch therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour in which the Son of Man is coming. Lord, Lord, let us in. Christ says, I never knew you. So many people think that they know him. They know who he is, but they don't have a relationship with him. You know, there was an interesting, you know, I didn't put it in here, but in Judges 21 it talked about how they were asking, how do we get our brides? Basically they wait, they snatched them, they took them. That's by surprise. That's how they gain their wives. Read that story, it's pretty neat. And you'll see, hey, that sounds like how the rapture would happen. It does. The one thing that I have learned from Scripture is there are so many parallels in the old and the new. That's why it's important to study both. Because you're going to see parallels. And God does that for a reason. I did it before, I'll do it again. Jesus paid for his church with his shed blood on the cross. The next step of the marriage was for the groom and bride to share a cup of wine as a symbol of their betrothal. During the last supper feast, just before Jesus Christ was crucified, he lifted the cup of wine for the Passover and made a powerful illustration. In Matthew 26, 28 through 29, he says, For this is my blood of the New Testament, which is shed for many for the remissions of sin. But I say unto you, I will not drink henceforth of this fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. The groom then goes to prepare a bridal chamber in his father's house for his new bride. Jesus clearly describes this in John 14, 1 through 3. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself. That where I am, there you may be also. Jesus has prepared a place for me. And I take his promise that he will return to take me there. I believe him. You know, in scripture, what did he tell Thomas? Thomas, you've seen me and believed. How blessed are those who haven't seen me and believed. The church is rewarded above and beyond anybody else because we believed in him and we haven't seen him. We go straight on faith. Last week, walk by faith, not by sight. What I preached about as a perfect example. We have to keep our faith on him. That's the only thing that we have to go on. But by that faith, we will be part of that bride that's married to Christ forever. And finally, the second to last verse in the Holy Bible says that in Revelation 22:20, 20, he who testifies to these things says, surely I am coming quickly. Amen. Even so, come Lord Jesus. I just ask people, don't be left behind. Many people will not agree with me on this view, but just remember what I told you when we are gone. Just remember that. Give your life to Christ today, right now. You might not get another chance to do so. I know people hear that, and it's cliche, but it's true. I've heard many pastors talk about, they would tell a congregation that, and then, you know, somebody would leave and they'd die. 
before they got home. When they had a chance right there to give their lives to Christ. How many chances does God have to give you before you fully reject Him or you fully accept Him? I just hope that those who are lost and hear this message may turn their hearts towards Jesus. I pray fervently that they ask Him to save them because our redemption draws near. If you don't know Jesus as your Savior, please speak to me after the service. Go home and talk to Christ. Talk to Him in your car. We are in the last generation. All the signs are present. Israel's a nation. Guys, there's no joke. We see how bad this world is. How much worse is it going to get? A whole lot worse as soon as the restrainer's taken out of here. So we've got to be ready.